Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, celebrating 20 years of bringing the outdoors to Colorado radio, here's Terry Wickstrom. Good morning, this is Terry, and good morning, and we'll see you guys later from the golf show. Thanks for the intro. They, uh, we get about three seconds to change over between uh, the golf show and us, so sometimes it gets a little hectic, trying not to spill our coffee. But it was, uh, it was supposed to be a pretty nice day today, and maybe be a little cooler than the last couple days, but it was 80 already when I was driving in, so I think it's going to be a hot one. We are going to talk a ton of conventional fishing today. We'll talk some other things, too. But we've been talking a lot of fly fishing. We've been talking a lot about uh, fly fishing organizations and books. Really got to get back because there's still a lot of fishing. And to help me with that in studio today is Austin Parr. Good morning, Austin. Good morning, Terry. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great to have you on. We're, we got a pretty good lineup of some fishermen yourself and... I even know a little bit if you ask me enough, and then we're going to be joined by Devin from Tight Lines, and you've got a guest coming in later. I do. One of my guides, Joe Kissel, is going to come on and talk about a little bit of smallmouth uh, and some local waters later. And then Ronnie Castiglione will join us on his regular segment that he does every other week. So we got a lot of we're going to have a lot of conventional fishing today, and my goal kind of is that to kind of talk about what's going on now in the next few weeks before maybe the kids go back to school and you want to get out fishing, both from the avid advanced angler, but also from the guy that just wants to go to shore, catch a few fish, or he's got a small boat, or he only, he's got a nice boat, but he only gets out a half dozen times a year. I can tell you the biggest struggle I have fishing in Colorado is that I don't do it enough. I mean, I might be fishing on the shores of the Florida Keys one day and then up in Minnesota and then out in Hawaii. And I know people feel sorry for me that I don't get to fish enough here in Colorado. But people, you know, they listen to us and they talk to us. And even with the years that I have fished here and the knowledge I think I bring, at least the experience, I've been doing it a long time and I I get to spend time with a lot of great fishermen. You know, just going out for a day can be really tough because you don't understand What's going on with the fish? Definitely. And, you know, that's where a show like this, you know, especially with some of the, 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 the top-notch guides that we're going to be talking to today can really get you into the right direction and, you know, head on out and, and have a lot, of, a lot of success. And, you know, even with the heat and everything that we've been experiencing lately, there's still some fantastic fishing to be had for not only, you know, the, the, the current time, but, you know, well into the future, um, into the late part of the summer. You mean the... The pikes don't lose their teeth, and the fish's mouth don't get soft, and and the fish don't quit eating in this weather. Is that what you're trying to tell me? They might seem like they stop eating, but uh, you just have to adjust your, your technique a little bit and still have a lot of success. Well, you know, in all honesty, the waters are warm. Their metabolism is high. It is. The bait fish of hatch, which you run into in this time of the year, and you can give me your opinions on it, too, is that you have a lot of bait available that you have to compete with. And you got a lot of angling pressure here in Colorado also Definitely. that you have to compete with. So, but, you know, we go through the seasons, and in the spring, we're always hot about spring and fall because you catch more big fish. It's easy to catch the big fish, or, or, or more, a little more I, The more big simple. fish are more prevalent. Yes. At least they're a larger percentage. I won't go easy, but you catch more. <laughs> yes. You get into the summer peak, and those are the days when you have those 50, 75 fish days, especially in June. Before the bait hatches yes. and the fish are hungry, but the fish typically are are 
the smaller fish, the exactly. walleyes especially. The yes. bass may be a little different, but the walleyes especially. But now we've settled in to really, if you were in the Midwest, the next next six weeks are some of my favorite fishing because I know what the fish are going to do. It's not going to change a lot. Yep. We have some variations here, especially this year with water levels. Definitely. You know, a little dropping water level can change everything. But in some of these metro waters that a lot of folks fish, those are going to remain fairly consistent. And therefore, the patterns will remain fairly consistent over the next couple of weeks. No, you're exactly right. Now, I know Ronnie Castiglione later on wants to talk about water levels. And we'll touch on that a few times today. Because with this uh, dry... Uh, lack of moisture, no snowfall. We're going to see some drastic water level changes. But let's we'll cover all that as we go. Well, first of all, you're out in the water, you're guiding all the time, and you're in a tackle store, so you get people coming and talking to you all the time. Uh, for those of you who don't know, that Austin is the manager down at Discount Tackle, which is off South, South Santa Fe. Yes, sir. And uh, what are you hearing? What are you seeing? What are you seeing going on right now? So out on, on my guide trips, I typically am, am guiding on Chatfield and Cherry Creek for the most part. We're seeing a lot of shad out there as usual, but you know, a really good thing that we're seeing is that oh, there's a lot more shad on Chatfield than we have seen in a couple of years past. So that flood of 2015 really affected that population out there. It's really starting to recover. So we're going to start to see you know, a lot more high-quality fish over the next couple of years. But with those shad, you know, the, the fishing may seem a little bit more difficult, but you just have to adjust. So in the early morning, we're catching a lot of fish up very shallow, anywhere from two to six feet of water on some form of a reactionary bait. So a jigging wrap is a great option. A Johnny Darter from Johnson can be a really good choice, but then also blade baits that's a little bit more subtle, but you can still work them fairly aggressively on, on a yo-yo pattern. So letting them sink to the bottom, snapping them up, and then letting them fall back down on all those patterns. But we're fishing that in the low light period, you know, anywhere from that 6 a.m. till roughly 10 o'clock type period. And the hotter days, it seems to end a little bit sooner than it does on a day that's a little bit colder or if you have any cloud cover. Um, but then as you uh, move into the middle part of the day, it's moving into a trolling bite. And we're utilizing planer boards extensively. So if you're heading out there in your boat, making sure you have some form of a planer board is critical because these fish, they're still staying at that same depth level. So they're still two to six feet down but they're out over the open water rather than close in on structure on, on the sides of the shorelines. So we're running baits like a flicker shad or a salmo hornet, but only down roughly, you know, in, in that, that two to four foot range. So that, that means anywhere from 10 feet behind a board out to about 25 feet behind a board. And we're staggering those as we're moving out away from the boat and then having those fish hit those with, when they're chasing the shad up shallow. A couple points I want to make on what you said here. Um, first of all, the two to four, you know, behind the boat. A lot of people don't realize, you know, they'll think if they speed up and slow down, it's going to change their trolling depth. Yeah, That's true if you're using a weighted, like a snap weight or lead core. It's true if you're using a countdown type lure. Yes. But most of your diving, floating, or even suspended crankbaits, whether you're going one and a half miles an hour or four miles an hour, they run at almost exactly the same depth. Exactly. And you control the two things that are going to influence the depth of that bait are going to be the diameter of the line you're running because it's got to cut through the water. Yes. And also how far that line is behind the boat is what we always say. Mm -hmm. But when you use a planer board, it's how far behind the planer board. The planer board becomes the boat. Exactly. And that's what's so important about those planer boards is when we're having these fish that are just barely underneath the surface, they'll slide away from your boat. And if you're running those baits directly behind your boat and you let more line out, that bait will be diving down deeper than what you would be wanting to try and target those fish at. So that planer board will have a stationary point that you can set that bait off of and then move it away from the boat so you're not spooking those fish. Oh, you're absolutely right. In fact, I can tell you a story how Mark Martin won one of the first 
uh, professional walleye tournaments. Uh, in fact, I'm, I'll do that in just a second. But first, the same thing um, when you get that board away, and people always ask me, and I'll get your comment on this, how far away do you put that planer board? And they think the further the better. Well, that's not necessarily true because you're going to move fish away from the boat. Exactly. So the fish that move the boat away from the boat are going to be congregating with the fish who are already out. So you want to kind of experiment and see how far those fish are moving. Don't go as far as you think. Just no. go far enough to get away from the boat. And, and they're going to settle in there by the time the, blade, the board comes by and see that bait. Mark Martin was uh, trolling like that, and he had his boats, his... He was concentrating the fish on his board. The in-fisherman camera crew came over to film him, but they didn't want to get too close. And he kept waving them in. Go ahead, come closer, come closer, till their boat was almost exactly as far from his planer board on the other side as his was on this side. So now he had two ba- boats funneling fish, funneling fish to board. his boards, and he won the championship <laughs> by using the camera boat yes. to push the fish. <laughs> so well, that's a great. So true. Yeah. And you know your your amount your 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 distance away from your boat also will will you know it changes depending upon how many boards you're running. You know if you have more people in the boat and you're stacking some boards up, you'll obviously have that outside board out a little bit further. And but, on weekends, how many water skiers yeah, you want to catch? That's always going right there. Exactly. <laughs> so making sure to keep it tight on a weekend like this can be good, or focusing on no wake zones at lakes like Chatfield or Boyd. Right, because you can go fast enough in a no-wake zone to do it. Mm-hmm. And also, go, go during the week a little bit. That's I mean, everybody best. wants to recreate. None of these people are evil. <laughs> they just want to get out there. Another thing, I'll make another comment about what you said. We'll move on to a few other things that are going on. You talked about fishing uh, uh, jigging wraps and blade baits in shallow. Yes. I told Karen, I said, if I ask Chad Lachance what he's throwing, it's going to be a jerk bait or a gulp minnow yes if i ask austin parr what he's fishing with it's going to be a shad wrap or a blade bait you love yeah. those baits don't you? i do yeah i mean it, it's my confidence bait and you know everyone that you talk to is going to have a separate set of baits that they utilize and some baits that you know they should probably use more and in my case you know i should probably pitch a gulp minnow on there a little bit more but with those reactionary baits you can literally catch fish all summer long particularly in the late part of the summer and then shift into the fall and continue to catch fish on those. So, you know, down at the store, I hear about people all the time down there trying to throw jigs, trying to throw bait right now, especially trying to do the same thing they did a month ago and it's not working. And they go, the fish aren't biting. Well, the fish aren't where you were. They're not where they were. They're not wanting to to target that bait. They've shifted. So you shift to something that is imitating a wounded bait fish, like a jigging wrap does especially well. Chad and I just filmed a show out on Jumbo and did that with with the Johnny darters out there and, and just blasted them. And the same thing is going on at Chatfield and Cherry Creek. Well, now I'll tell you right now, the, the people go out, I, I hear this so much, especially when I was doing television in my 22 seasons, people would watch a show. Well, then they'd go out and try to do that. Well, they didn't do it at the right time. It didn't uh-huh. work. But a lot of these people would only fish four or five times a week, and that's all the time they have. We want to help them. We want to get them out and have them catch fish. And But they try to do, like you said, the same thing they did in the spring, the same thing they did in June, and the same thing they do in July. And they their answer is always, the fish aren't biting. Yep. And then when they get them, they're biting because they happen to be in the right place. Yes. My years within fishermen, we had, a, you know, we had our formula. It was the f- understanding the fish, understanding the location, yes. and then understanding the, the depth and the presentation. Mm-hmm. And finding, you know, the best presentation in the world is no good if there aren't fish there. That's it. One of the things I do want to ask you before we move on to a couple things, and that's the fish that were in shallow early and late in the day. Yes. You were getting them with... Uh, the jigging wraps and that. 
Have did you do any casting crankbaits up shallow? You know, I have not done a whole lot of that. However, there are some folks that I fish with quite a bit that ha- have a ton of success with that. You know, casting a a flicker shad up shallow or you know a jointed shad wrap I like a lot when we're casting because they they cast beautifully and you're not dealing with a whole lot of fouling on those baits. Doing it with some form of a super line can be really productive, but you're d- basically doing the exact same thing you're trolling, but except just doing it up shallower and working that bait along the bottom and it could definitely be a good way to go. And you're and this is Cherry Creek and Chatfield at Chatfield, are you getting smallmouth too? We are, absolutely. So those smallmouth, as usual, are are with all of the walleyes. They're, they're eating the bait the same way the walleyes are, so they're in a lot of the same and, spots. And people don't realize they tend to do that. Largemouth bass tend to be more of an ambush fish, but smallmouth will tend to, it, they'll tend to follow those schools of fish too. Some of them absolutely. will stay in ambush points, yes. but they'll eat crawfish and other minnows. But a lot of times, especially the bigger smallmouth, are feeding on those, those shad just like the walleyes. So what else are you seeing? Uh, people want to get away from the metro area a little bit. Any suggestions? You know, down to John Martin can be a pretty good bet. There's a ton of white bass down there, and they're boiling on shad right now, and that's fantastic but then the other way to go you know we've been talking and you've been talking quite a bit about the warm water temperatures up in the mountains when it comes to the rivers but if you just go up to the high country and whether you're conventional fishing or or fly fishing get up to those really high mountain lakes in the national forest type areas or rocky mountain national park you can really get away from that and have good fishing for months to come still here so you just get away from that warmer water Go up to those high elevation lakes and catch some cruising cutthroats. And both, like you said, lakes and rivers. Lakes and rivers. Uh, you up, know, and sometimes high. you have to walk. But if you want to just go catch fish, go to Joe Wright. Catch the grayling. The yep. grayling up there, flying a bubble. Yep. You'll catch grayling all day long. It's just a blast. None of them are going to be huge. But then you can walk up right from there to uh, Zimmerman Lake and catch cutthroats. Cut you know, you got it's catch and release. The park, the rivers in the park tend to have smaller fish. Yes. You can get bigger ones. But the Alpine Lakes, I went horseback with Kirk Bean from Kirk's Fly Shop. Yes. And, of course, he kept me in a saddle for, like, I don't know how many hours. <laughs> I've never forgiven him. But we horseback rode up to, and you could hike to, there's lower ones. Definitely. We went way up, and we were catching, I mean, we were catching large, large yes. trout. And when they're up there, they're usually very cooperative. So, you know, utilizing, you know, a smaller grasshopper pattern at first, like a Stalcups hopper from Solitude Fly Company is really good. But then shifting on your trailer to a little beetle or an ant or even a dropper and just getting a good pair of polarized sunglasses and, and stalking your edge can be really good. Or flying a bubble or even, you know, throwing a small little lure like a Castmaster or a Tasmanian Devil can work good, too. What about the guy around here who just has a few hours after work or maybe a weekend? He's going to run out. He knows Cherry Creek and Chatfield and Horsetooth and Boyd are going to be pretty busy. Yes. How about, what can he do? Is there some, how about the bass in the small ponds? Definitely. So the bass in the small ponds are some of the, it's some of the best action of the year right now. So unlike your trout, those bass are going to remain very active in this warm water and, and be some of the most active of the, of the year right about now. So if you have an evening or an early morning going and throwing some topwater baits, you know, there's a fantastic line of, line of topwater baits from Berkeley that just came out at ICAST that we'll be messing around with. But otherwise, little poppers and spooks can be really good in the early morning and late evening. But then also you can adjust a little bit, maybe move to a drop shot rig. So a lot of these fish in these ponds, uh, you know, there's a lot of these ponds have a lot of weeds and moss in them, and it's tough to work something like a a tube or a, a Texas rig down there just because of how much weed growth there is. But you switch over to a drop shot, get that plastic up above a little bit more, fish around your structure points, and then you get that weight getting some of that uh, the, the weeds on it, and you can keep your bait up out of them a little bit. Yeah, another thing I'll do there, if there, if it isn't too mossy, if it's just mostly weed growth, yes. I'll take a four-inch finesse worm, Yep, and I'll just rig it weightless. That's fantastic. So much, so many of these ponds are, um, are just, the bass are just dug into that cover. Yes. And if you 
you can pull that unweighted four-inch worm Texas rig right on top of the weeds and just stop and let it drop in holes. And they it'll drop in holes, and they'll just jump on it. They yeah. will. It's a great way to catch fish. And a lot of times, they'll come right up like it's a surface bait as you're going through those pockets Absolutely. and hit it. That's a great thing. we got to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Parks and Wildlife about a few different events that are going on. But we're going to get back to a lot more conventional fishing on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Sandy Clef here to tell you about SCL Mortgage Special Circumstance Lending, locally owned and operated. And if you're self-employed or work on commission, this is the place for you. Bank statement loans are back. You don't need tax returns to do your loan. In some cases, the bank statement loans can be done with credit scores in the low 600s. MySpecialMortgage.com on the web, 303-790-2222. The phone number, SCL Mortgage, licensed by the Colorado Department of Regulatory Agencies, number 120. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. We are going to go right to the phones. And we're going to do something. It's something we talk about every year. And if you haven't been up there, you really miss out. And this is Trina Romero from Parks and Wildlife. And she's going to talk us talk to us about the Moose Day up on the Grand Mesa. Well, good morning, Trina. Good morning, Terry. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Are you up on the Grand Mesa today? I'm not. I'm in Grand Junction and, uh, you know, dealing with our sweltering heat. But I I hope to get up there later today. Isn't it beautiful this time of the year? We were just talking. If you want to get someplace a little cooler and just have beauty and wildlife, it's just fantastic. It, it absolutely is. My family... And I went, we went up there last weekend, and it was much cooler, and the mosquitoes have subsided some, so that's always a good thing. We don't even talk about them. There are no mosquitoes in Colorado, <laughs> so we don't tell people about them. Just ignore We only them. tell the people from out of state that we don't want coming here. But, that's true. That's <laughs> so well, tell us about the event. This is a great. First of all, we have a pretty, um, a pretty healthy moose population in Colorado. We do. You know, there's, there's several populations um, statewide, and... The Grand Mesa population, we started introducing them on the Mesa in 2005, and their numbers have grown substantially. We have well over 700 moose now on the Mesa, and uh, people are seeing them more and more frequently now. Well, and moose around the state, that we've got a robust population that we even allow limited hunting in areas, and uh, they're becoming part of our big game uh, uh, in a state where we have a, such diverse big game opportunities. But I think the number one thing that people will tell you about moose is they love to see them in the wild. They're this big, majestic creature that people think are kind of big and clumsy, which isn't too true, but they are beautiful, aren't they? They are. They are. And they are an absolute success story in our conservation message and and mission um, as Colorado Parks and Wildlife. So, yes, they are majestic. People love to see them, but we need to have a healthy respect of them. I think because they are so large and they look a little slow, they're really not. They're actually very fast. And when they get agitated, they can turn on a dime and you better not be too close because they'll use those strong hooves to... uh, you know, pound at you a little bit if they decide to. Well, moose, actually, we've I've been been privy to some studies by Parks and Wildlife. By far the most wild animal attacks in Colorado are moose, and they are the most dangerous. They cause the most injuries. And a huge proportion of those, Trina, are dogs. And I love dogs. I'm a dog lover. I've had dogs all my life. But you just can't take dogs in moose country. That's correct. And I, I'm a dog lover and owner as well. And, you know, it's just being responsible 
Moose see dogs as wolves, and which is their primary predator. And although we don't have wolf populations in Colorado, a moose really can't decipher the difference. So when they see a dog, even a smaller dog, and that dog may be agitating them, and, and it may not even be barking at them, but they just see a dog in their presence, they're going to be agitated by that. And certainly a cow with a calf, a young, you know, a, a, an adult moose with a young calf will be agitated enough that she may decide that she's going to defend herself and her young. And you don't want to be between um, yourself and the dog when that occurs. So we really always have to remind people to keep your dog on a leash and be aware if there's moose in your community where you live or you go somewhere recreating and there's moose in the area, be very, very smart about where you're taking your dog. Well, I'll tell you what happens when you let your dog run loose in moose country. It scares the moose, but moose are the only member of the deer family that doesn't run the attack. So they chase the dog. The dog runs back to the owner. And while the moose is stomping the owner, the dog gets away. So that's, that's difficult. That's Let's true. talk that's about the event. Though. We want people to be safe, but there's still great wildlife watching opportunities. Quickly tell us about the event you've got coming up. Absolutely. This is our ninth annual Grand Mesa Moose Day, and it's a celebration of the moose on the mesa. It's Saturday, July 28th, so a week from today. The event starts at 10 a.m. and it concludes at 3 p.m. And throughout the day, we have a lot of activities for all different age groups. So you can bring your whole family up and you, there's a couple of presentations inside the visitor center. This is at the visitor center on top of Grand Mesa. So you can take Highway 65 either from the Grand Junction side off of I-70 or from the Delta Cedar Ridge side. And you can, you'll get up to the visitor center on Grand Mesa. And, and t- go ahead, 10 to 3 is the time, and is there a charge for this? No, it's a completely free event. And, and the only thing I suggest, people bring, um, bring, bring food or go to, you know, a local restaurant. There are, you know, there's a few places that are open, um, but there's not usually potable water at the visitor center. So plan to bring food and drink with you and because those aren't provided at the visitor center. But we do have a lot of activities, and everything is free. As I now, tell me about some of the activities. So we have two presentations um, that will be new to the event this year, and those will be provided by our local area wildlife manager, who is also a, a wildlife biologist. And he's going to be telling Colorado's moose story at 11 o'clock and 1 o'clock in the visitor center. And then on the deck of the visitor center, we have activities for all different ages. We have crafts for kids. They can make a little moose antler hat. Um, We have all different things that people can interact with, uh, different games and some different things with hides and skulls, test your skills and knowledge about local Colorado mammals. And then we also have a casting demonstration where kids can actually earn or win a prize of a a, a casting or a, excuse me, just a, a rod and reel from Cabela's. Cabela's well, donated some rods this year. Now, I, I happen to know that you fish the Mesa. I do. Do you like it up there? I do. do you catch fish? I actually grew up in this area fishing. So, yes, I, I frequently fish in that area. What are you seeing on there in the fishing right now? Well, you know, last weekend we actually went up and we were trying to catch tiger trout. Uh, and we were unsuccessful. However, there's tiger trout in a couple of the cottonwood reservoirs. And, uh, you know, I, I know that you can catch them with worms. Um, grayling uh, are kind of, they've kind of reached their peak and it's kind of trailing off now. But those are, you know, another unique species you can catch on the mesa. So besides rainbows and brookies, there's also those other 
kind of unique species to catch up there. One last question, because we're running out of the time. Is there, sure. do you get quite a few moose sightings at the, at the Mesa? We do. So, you know, at the event itself, the visitor center is a little high elevation to actually see moose. So I always encourage people to look for moose on the way up. And at the event itself, you can talk to any of our staff or and the Forest Service staff as well about local sightings. And we can give you some information on places to go and look for moose. And it's again, it's next weekend from 10 to 3, no charge up at the visitor center on the Grand Mesa. That's correct. And we welcome anyone at completely free event and you'll learn a lot. Well, in, in this hot weather, what a nice, cool place to spend a day. Absolutely. Trina, thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. All right. Today. That's Trina from uh, Colorado Parks and Wildlife. We're going to go back real quick to the phones because I don't know if he's ever camped up in that area, but I'll bet he gets people that buy campers and rent campers that head up to that I Grand Mesa, Ray. I wish I was on top of Grand Mesa today. It'd be a great day to be there. Well, you know, it was supposed to be a little cooler today and driving in, it was already 80. What happened? I don't know. I think it's <laughs> summertime all around us. Yeah, it, oh, it really is. But, you know, you talk about, Ray, whether they're renting a camper from you or buying one. And we get towards fall, and your rentals probably are a little more available because they get booked so steady until kids go back to school. But, yeah, you know, right now the even, Grand Mesa is cooler, but it's a beautiful place in the fall. Even yet this summer, we've still got availability on camping trailers. So if somebody wants to take a nice trip, we've got a uh, getaway. But I'll tell you, the, the single best fall color show I've ever seen uh, was about a year ago driving up to the top of Grand Mesa to camp. Just spectacular, beautiful area if you've never been up there. Well, and there's the lake right down right down below as you head up. Is it Ve- Vega Reservoir? Vega, yes. Vega Reservoir. And that's got a beautiful campgrounds in the pines. And then you can, uh, most people go up to the Grand Mesa from there and go fishing. I go to the wineries, but we don't want to say that on the air. <laughs> but <laughs> but there's so many beautiful places. And somebody wants to go to them, Ray, uh, tell them about some of your deals. Uh, well, we've got great camper uh, sales on new campers right now, including a, a 13.9 on a 17-foot Viking couples coach with off-road capability and a slide-out. Nice little comfortable camper for a couple. We've got a good sale price on a big 27-footer with oversized bunks if somebody has a big family and a small budget. So we've got that covered. And like I say, we've got good availability on camper rentals right now for the rest of the summer. All right, my friend, tell them how they find you. On the web at adventurecamper.com, by phone, 303-680-3670. And uh, if you want to come visit us today, we're near Arapaho Road and Jordan Road down in southeast Metro Denver. All right. We will talk to you next week. You have a great weekend. You bet. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. In studio with me today is Austin Parr. We are talking a lot of conventional fishing. We're covering it. But right now, we're going to go right back to the phones. And joining us, uh, they're volunteers for Colorado Parks and Wildlife uh, by the Chalk Cliffs Hatchery. And I believe we have Kevin. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning, Terry. You know, um... When I say Kevin, people don't expect to hear a a woman with that soft southern draw answering the phone. (laughs) 
But you come up here to spend the summers and you volunteer at the hatchery, is that right? That's correct. This is our third summer to be able to volunteer at Chalk Cliffs. So you're kind of liking Colorado? We love Colorado. But you know, you're, you're also helping out with an incredibly important part of the fishing in Colorado. The hatchery system, uh, I don't think, we're going to talk more about this later in the show on how to catch these fish. But I came from the Midwest, and we had lakes that were full of bluegills and perch and crappies. And as a kid, you could grow up with a a bobber. And you had those down in Texas, too. You could grow up with a a bobber and a worm and catch as much as you want. We have some of that in Colorado. But really, the panfish of Colorado, the, the reliable angling experience for both kids and people that just don't get out a lot, are the stock trout. And it takes a lot of time and energy to raise those. And you kind of are able to give people some insight into that, aren't you? You. We sure are. A lot of people don't realize, but rainbow trouts are not natives to Colorado. So if it weren't for the hatcheries, it would not be nearly as much fun for the anglers that come here. Oh, you're absolutely right. And you know, not only do they stock those fish as, uh, well, throughout the hatchery system, they'll stock them as subcatchables, catchables, and even broodfish. I think your hatchery is mostly catchable fish for the front range, if you, as you and I have talked. We'll get into that in a minute. Right. But uh, they, they get out there, and a lot of those fish hold over in these front range lakes and get quite large, too. Yes, they do. So tell us about, I wasn't even, I was talking to Austin here, and I guess neither one of us was really very aware of Chalk Cliffs Hatchery. Tell us about the hatchery, where it's located, and what people would see there. Okay, well, I could say that Chalk Cliff Hatchery is probably the best-kept secret of J.P. County. People will pass our hatchery up heading up towards St. Elmo's or Princeton, uh, Mount Princeton Resorts and just fly by the turnoff to come to our hatchery. We're on... Uh, uh, County Road 207, which is on the way to St. Elmo's, if you're familiar with where that is. And now if I came into the hatchery, and uh, Austin told me before, that Austin, you said you want to go see it. I would like to. You know, you don't really have an opportunity to actually go in and see the operations of a hatchery very often. So this is a unique opportunity. So if you come in there, what do you see and how can you participate? Okay, well, when you first come into our hatchery, you'll come into the gate and you'll see um, on your left-hand side, you'll see a four-bay garage kind of building and the visitor center is in the very first bay and what we have in there is we have we have a video that will show you and i can tell you more about what the video talks about we also have a uh examples of different animals in our fish and birds from the area like we have a taxidermy golden eagle we have a horned owl we have a a heron we have some fish like we have a rainbow trout example and a lake trout and a western pike and then more so you get get close up and see what these animals look like that are in this area. Also, I said we have a video that we show, and it's very informative video. It talks about the role of hatcheries here in Colorado, about how Colorado manages the fish industry. It discusses the history of the hatcheries and different methods of transporting the fish. It's very informative, and people always are amazed at what they've learned when they see the video. It lasts about 10 minutes. We answer questions about the hatcheries, and uh, we do a special thing at our hatchery that I, is close to my heart. We do an art activity with kids. And after we um, we visit, uh, spend time in the visitor center, people are given a bucket of food, and they can roam around the hatchery and feed the fish. Well, tell me about the art activity for the kids. What exactly, okay. what do they do? I'll tell you. It's close to my heart. I was a first-grade teacher in my earlier life, and I'm an artist, too. So art and kids kind of is something special to me. <clears throat> and so what we have... I have some rubber fish, a rubber trout, and we do an art activity called Gia Taku. It's a Japanese 
uh, art form. Gia means fish in Japanese, and taku loosely can be interpreted as print or impression. And so we uh, allow the kids to paint the top of my rubber fish, and they will press paper on top. And then while they're feeding the fish, the paper dries, and they have a print of their special trout to take home with them. I'm sure we're the only hatchery here in Colorado that does anything like this. Now, as far as feeding the fish, they don't have to bring anything with. In fact, you don't want them to. You have the food right there, right? We have the same food to hand out to the people that our trucks feed the fish with. It's a, and do the fish, do they get a lot of activity and see it? Well, I bet when they put that in, it kind of the fish go pretty crazy. They look like piranhas. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be so much fun. It's just, you know, and, and you're, a hot, you're a little bit away from town, so you stay a little cooler there. I do. And, and, and I think our hatchery is one of the prettiest that I've ever visited because in addition to having the concrete raceways, we also have seven earthen ponds. And then we're surrounded by... The mountain, you know, we have Mount Princeton, you're looking right up at that. It's just a, a beautiful, beautiful place to stroll around. Even if you weren't feeding the fish, it's pretty to walk around and and, and enjoy the scenery. Well, it sounds like a great place for a day trip, just to come up, learn about the hatchery, see the fish, and just really enjoy yourself. Tell them again where it's located. Okay, we're located on, on well, it's the, the highway between Buena Vista and Salida is 285. Then you take a right on County Road 162, which is the road that takes you up towards St. Elmo's. And then you'll take a left on 207, which is just a couple of miles up from the main highway. And you'll see the sign that says Chalk Cliffs uh, Rearing Unit is what we're called. Well, and I also, I, I, I went and searched Chalk Cliffs on the Parks and Wildlife site, and there's directions there, too. So, right. so just remember Chalk Cliffs and get up, and you guys will take good care of them, it sounds like. Yes, indeed. And we'll be here until Labor Day is our last day for the visitor centers to be open. We're open between Memorial Day weekend and Labor Day. All right. Well, they got a little over a month. They need to get up there. Kevin, Kevin, thank you so much. You bet. Thank you. You bet. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. If you just tuned in, Austin Parr is in studio with me from Discount Tackle. He manages Discount Tackle, but he guides in the area also. Good morning again, Austin. Once again, thanks for having me on, Terry. You know, we just did a segment with some of the hatchery people about raising the stalker trout. And I don't know if she got to mention it when I was talking to her before. All the trout at that... Uh, that Chalk Cliffs, which would be kind of fun to go to, Chalk Absolutely. Cliffs. You know, people should Google that, go up there. They do a presentation and let you feed the fish and all that. It's a little cooler there. But they raise all those fish to 10 inches, she said, and they're stocked on the front range. I grew up, well, my Karen says I got older, then I never <laughs> grew up. But uh, I started my fishing experiences in the Midwest. And even when I was very, very little, we could take a bobber and put a worm on it in the lakes up there, and you'd catch at least bluegills, maybe a crappie or two, a perch, maybe even a small bass. We have some of that in Colorado, and we can point people to those things. But the panfish of Colorado are really the stock trout. Definitely. And, you know, when when folks come in the shop, I have a lot of people ask me, okay, well, you know, they're from the Midwest, and they say, okay, where can I go and just catch some bluegills and crappies? Well, a lot of times we'll direct them 
to the high country or if we're in a little bit cooler time of year to some of these front range lakes where these trout are just because the success rate is a lot better and a lot easier to find those fish. Well, and a lot of people, you know, we do a lot of this program. We get into some advanced techniques. We keep up with the bite. And a lot of it, you need a boat or you need some you need some basic angling experience with nuances to do. Yes. And some sometimes some advanced tackle. Now, we try to cover shore fishing. We try to cover things so that we want to get everybody out fishing. Definitely. And these can be caught from a boat. They can be caught from shore. Uh, you mentioned in the cooler times of the year, early uh, in, in spring and then late again into the fall, some of the best for the stock trout in the whole state is right here in the front range. It really is. And some of them get big. You get to this time of the year, the front range gets a little difficult because they're just deeper. They're cooler water, Definitely. but it's going to come back. But the mountains right now, short drives to just, you know, Terry all. Yeah, or to, uh, Georgetown or, you or, know, um, even they just stocked Evergreen the other day. And uh, although it's a little bit lower elevation, you right. go up there in the early morning or late evening with a kid. That's one of my favorite destinations to send people with kids because you can go up there and have a lot of success. Red Feathers Lakes. Absolutely. I mean, there's just tons and tons of these places. But even then, people that aren't from here or that maybe they're just getting into fishing, they don't know how to approach it. And, you know, whenever somebody comes to me and says, I want to get my kids fishing or I just want to start fishing, I haven't fished for a long time. And, you know, you want them to catch fish. And I do Definitely. this myself. I go fish. You know, sometimes we poo-poo this too much. You know, you get a little um, uppity about catching stock <laughs> trout. Yes. But here's an experience where you should take a fish home. Definitely. And they're there to put and take. They're raised strictly for you to catch. And usually you can catch them by any means. So I'm I'm coming into the store. Maybe I don't even have a rod and reel yet. Outfit me to get me ready to go trout fishing. Okay. So to start with, a lot of times I'm going to direct someone to a spinning rod. Now, you could certainly use utilize a, a closed face spin cast reel. But in general, a mid-price spinning rod like you know a, a Fluger Meta, or a Monarch is a pretty darn good option for you. You know, right around that $40 or $50 range. Going to move into a six-pound test. A lot of times I like a fluorocarbon. It manages a little bit better than that monofilament. But just a basic trilene fluorocarbon, or excuse me, trilene monofilament can certainly wind up working well for you. Moving along from there, a lot of times we will talk about using two rods. So if you have a secondary rod or maybe purchasing a second rod, that's important. But having a second rod stamp in my first rod, I'm going to this time of year especially put a basic slip sinker bottom rig. So I'm going to have, you know, about a half inch or a half ounce egg sinker going to a swivel with a small leader and then a bait holder hook typically. And then on the end of that bait holder hook, we'll equip folks, especially with, you know, a Berkeley power bait. That's about as, as simple as it gets on a dough bait. A lot of folks really like the rainbow color or the sherbet color power bait um, you know shorter leaders a lot of times because that's going to float up off the bottom but we'll cast that out let that sit there on a tight line and then equip you with a secondary rod or a secondary set of lures where you can utilize that bait to attract some fish in catch some fish on that bait but then catch them on things like a cast master a small blue fox spinner can work really well and then my number one most popular trout lure down there is a tasmanian devil so casting a tasmanian devil out and working it back just a cast and retrieve method can be good also flying a bubble we equip a lot of folks with as well because it allows you to work a little bit softer or slower presentation with some of those trout that may be rising in the early morning or late evening. Well, and another thing with these trout too, first of all, if you're going to use power bait or the scented plastics, make sure you check the regulations Definitely. where you're fishing. There's some stock trout in places like Spinny Mountain Reservoir that although they're stocked just like they are in a lot of other lakes, you right. cannot utilize those type of baits. Right. And so make sure you understand the regulations where you're fishing. And you can do some of these techniques in rivers and things too. Definitely. But even in those places where baits aren't allowed, your spoons, your spinners, your Tasmanian devil, your cast master can be great ways to go catch fish. Definitely. And, you know, maintaining and kind of, you know, we're talking about basic techniques, but if you can figure out what the forage
ridges in a lake. A lot of times these high plains lakes are very crawfish oriented. So utilizing a little tube jig can be really good. And, you know, you put a little stinger hook behind in the trailer and that can be a stalker trout killer. I, I love to fish um, soft baits for trout. It can be fantastic. It, and it, it really helps you develop those techniques too. Because Definitely. you take little jigs, whether they've got hair or power bait or gulp or some other soft plastic um, marabou jigs even. They can be great. And you just go pitch them on. And you can fish the marabou and hair jigs where bait isn't allowed, just like a fly. It's, exactly. It's, it's, a, it's allowed. But you it it probably is the next step after you've done the power bait with the spinners yes. and the spoons because those are going to... The first thing we want to do is get you out and catch fish. Definitely. And by the way, the stocking report, if you follow Terry Wickstrom Outdoors... On Facebook, we not only talk about this show and my column in the Denver Post, but we put the fishing report every Friday comes. If you follow me or like my my Facebook page, it comes out and that has a link right to the stocking report. And people think, oh, they don't want us to know where they're putting them. Well, yeah, they do. They tell you you can go back too. you can see every body of water that was recently stocked. You can go look and say like Georgetown, like you said, yes. or you can go to Red Feathers or you can see that even places like the Mead Ponds or St. Varane in the right time yeah, of the year. Centennial. That's yeah, one of the, the lakes right by the store that that gets utilized the, a lot. With and you can trout. see when they're stocked. They want you to get out right when those fish are stocked and catch them. But on these front range lakes, another thing happens, especially when you get into the fall, and that's it, is that water cools. There's a lot of trout that have been eating these shad, just like the walleyes and yes. bass. Some of the biggest trout I've caught have come from these front range lakes. They really have. And, you know, I orchestrate a whole series of fall guide trips that are focused on the trout out of Chatfield Reservoir. And, I mean, we'll go out there and average 16 to 18-inch trout with fish over 24 inches sometimes coming. So a shore angler can have great success with that as well because, like you mentioned before, those trout right now are in a little bit deeper water. They're below that that surface warmth and then as the fall comes and the lakes turn over again those fish move shallow and a lot of your weed growth starts to dissipate and you can really have a lot of good success throwing things like power bait or a cast master or you know even working on on throwing something like a flicker shad those fish are focused in on eating those shad in some of these larger fisheries and when you're throwing the the basic shad imitation you can not only catch those trout but also things like walleyes and and bass and and it's just like throwing a cast master except you're just going to cast a flicker shad out and reel it right back to your to the shoreline well another thing too is i tell people if you are fishing for stock trout in a a pond or a lake that has panfish, walleyes, and bass in it, and you're just an, an, an average angler, but you just want to catch some fish, yes. I may put one rod with power bait. Yep. I may put a, a nightcrawler on the other one, because yep. the trout will eat the nightcrawler. Definitely. Or and, a leech, even. Yeah. And, and yet, you, you have a... You, you, very seldom are you going to get a walleye eating power bait or yeah, something. But so you don't, I've also seen the opposite where people have come and I've seen them show up at a bass pond I was fishing with power bait rigs. <laughs> They're in an on-stock bass. And yeah. I, I've gone over, given them some like four-inch worms and helped them out and said, you know, exactly. save those for when you go back up to another place. Well, you know? and that's another thing like you just mentioned right there, you know, doing a little bit of research on something like, you know, the Colorado Fishing Atlas that Parks and Wildlife puts out, you know, online, you can see what's in the particular body of water and making sure to use 
something on the end of your line that is pertinent to what's actually in the lake is important. So if you're looking for trout, find a lake that's been been recently uh, that's, stocked. That's number one. Go to that yep. stocking report. And there's there's stuff all over. We didn't even mention like Flatiron and Pinewood just up from Carter Lake. Exactly. And there's just lakes. There's small lakes as you get up a little bit in elevation and as the temperature drops here everywhere. Well, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, Devin from Tightlines is going to join us. I got a feeling we're going to talk more fishing right here on Terry Wicks from Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.